Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. What's up, everybody? How we feeling on this Wednesday morning? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. The NBA season started last night with a Lakers loss, so you know that I'm feeling great today, and I'm really excited about the start of the Pelican season, and and that's just going to last a very short while. But I'm excited for now. The optimism that you feel when a new season begins for your team that's ultimately going to disappoint you is an is a interesting feeling. I'm glad I've got it, but I'm also glad that you guys are with me. We're not talking NBA today, although I might slip it in here as the season goes on because I can't help myself when it comes to uh, to New Orleans. However, however, that's not what we're talking about today. Uh, the Red Sox got screwed last night. For lack of a better term, I know that's not the best term to use, the Red Sox got screwed last night. We're going to talk about that. Um, there's a really simple solution that we need to add because I'm going to show you a chart of balls and strikes from last night. I'm going to show you this chart. And it actually supports my argument some. So we'll do that. Also, according to somebody that's pretty connected down in the Louisiana area, LSU has a leader. It's not going to surprise you. It's really not going to surprise you. But what surprised me is when you really look at this guy's resume. It's going to be a really good hire. I mean, there there's very few coaches that are more qualified than this guy to get the LSU job. So we'll talk about that. And, of course, look at lines for the weekend. I usually do it Tuesday or Wednesday today. Uh, we'll, we'll do it today. So there's a few games, actually, that are kind of flying under the radar that aren't really going to be on your radar that I think you should watch that are really compelling this weekend in college football. So uh, we'll look at those. But first, uh, if you're a first-time watcher, again, my name is Michael Borky. I'm glad to see you. If you're watching on Twitter, you cannot comment, so find me on YouTube. Michael Borky on YouTube. Find me there. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Actually, like the video if you like what you hear. Uh, that will help me a lot. And uh, after you subscribe, click the, the notification bell so you get notified when I go live so you don't have to find it on Twitter or, uh, or after the fact. Speaking of Twitter, follow on there or Facebook and wherever you get your podcast, Mike in the morning or my name should turn up plenty of results. So let's see. Robot umpires. Uh, As you guys know, if you listen to my content all the time, I am not a baseball purist. I don't even have a team. Uh, I'll go to Mississippi Braves games down the road for, for, you know, some a cheap night out, watch pretty good baseball. I don't have a team, though. I'm not a Braves fan. I'm not a Red Sox fan. I'm not a Cardinals fan. I don't have a team. I'm not a purist. That's just not who I am. It's football for me, college and NFL, New Orleans Pelicans, NBA, Major League Baseball. That's just kind of where I am on the pecking order. So I know I come at this from the non-purist angle. But this is something that has got to get fixed. 
what happened last night in Boston should not ever, ever happen, even if you're the, the most devout baseball purist that you have ever, ever met. R- regardless of that person, what happened last night is inexcusable. I don't care about the human element and how that has to be in baseball. Humans cannot make the mistake and should not make the mistake that was made last night in Boston. The Red Sox simply got screwed on a two-strike pitch. It was clearly strike three, and it should have ended the inning. That's what should have happened last night in Boston. Instead, inexplicably, it was called a ball. Inexplicably, it was called a ball. And because of that, the Astros got another shot, and they scored seven runs in the inning. Boston is apparently pretty good at walking teams off. It's kind of what they've done this year. At home, bottom of the ninth, never got a chance to win the game because the umpire blew an obvious strike call. It is not one of those things where you can argue the alternative. Well, actually, no, it was just outside. No, it was a strike. In every model, this, the K-zone thing, it was a strike. The above image, it was a strike. The behind image, it was a strike. The behind the pitcher image, there is it is inarguable. What happened to the Red Sox last night should never, ever, ever happen, in my opinion. I know I'm not a purist. I don't really care, honestly. The human element thing is a joke to me because when humans, who are not the players, directly impact the outcome of the game, then it's garbage to me. I I don't think it's pure. It's not part of the game. Well, the three-point line wasn't part of the original basketball game. The forward pass was not part of the original football game. It was illegal. You couldn't throw the football. Now that's all you do. Sometimes it's okay when sports adapt and change a little bit. I like some things that baseball do. Baseball does. The tradition side of it. It's the most traditional sport that we've got, maybe. But that's inexcusable. Let me show you this chart. It was not just this one call. This comes from Jeff Passan, who, by the way, read Jeff Passan's column about that bad call last night. He's really good. I mean, just really good. Uh, a fantastic writer on top of always has measured opinions you know I mean you you've got so many people in this business I talk about it all the time where their only goal is to stir shit up is to generate reactions and not generate a reaction like a good rapport between host and listener I'm talking about just saying things to get people mad and and fired up it's a garbage strategy I can't stand it but that that's what media is now and and it's really frustrating Jeff Passon's not that guy he will have strong opinions because you should, but they're measured. They're they're rooted in in logic, in reason, facts. He's great. So read that column. If if you didn't watch the game last night, read Jeff Passan's column about it. He's fantastic. But he shared this on Twitter last night. Uh, this is from ESPN Stats and Info. Laz Diaz is the umpire's name. He missed twenty one ball and strike calls in the game last night. That is the most of any umpire this postseason. Let me show you this chart. Let me show you this chart that was shared by Jeff Passan. This underscores the issue here. Look at this thing. The red dots are strikes. The green dots are balls. That's what this is. So the red dots are strikes, or what were called strikes, and the green dots are balls. 
Look at this in particular. Look at this down here. Look at how awful this is. This was called a strike. Where the mouse is right now, what is that, six, eight inches inside? This, another, was called a strike. What is this, six, eight inches outside? By the way, this, this was the non-strike three call. By the way, this was the no call, according to Jeff. And um, allowed the Astros an extra pitch, and they turned it into a seven-run inning. This right here, this chart, is wholly unacceptable. This is called a ball right here. This is called a strike. This is called a ball right here. This is called a strike. To put it in football terms for a second, could you imagine? Yes, I know field goals don't happen near as much as pitches in a baseball game, but could you imagine a scenario in which there are no field goal posts in football, but there are markings on the field? There are two markings where generally that's what a field goal is. And there's a guy standing behind the markings on the field when you kick a field goal, he gets to decide whether or not it's good. Even if it goes through those lines, eh, it's up to him to decide whether or not the field goal goes in. Could you imagine a game-winning field goal? Like Jacksonville, when they beat Miami, kicked a game-winning field goal in London on Sunday. If those referees just got to decide, hey, it wasn't any good because we like our kicks a little bit outside. So, nope, field goal, no good. Sorry, going to overtime. Could you imagine if we did that in football? Could you imagine in basketball if the three-point line was a judgment call where referees, there, there was a general marking on the floor, a dotted line or whatever, where, hey, that's three points. But the, the referees in the game got to decide, hey, his foot was on the line, but so what? I'm giving him three. Just because I liked the shot, it was pretty. Three points. But his foot was on the line. Eh, I'm a human. Human element. That's three points. Why is it only in baseball we allow subjectivity to be part of the game? Because what happened in Boston last night in the playoffs should never, ever, ever happen. It was a clear third strike. I know I'm not a purist, but we have the technology to avoid crap like that. Because that's inexcusable. In a playoff game, in the ninth inning, this is just inexcusable. Completely and totally inexcusable. This cluster right here, this pitch right here, paired with that, and that, and that, and that. It's unbelievable. I feel bad for the for Red Sox fans. I, I really do. That, that's a joke. Zach says, hey, man, hockey started. Where's the coverage? <laughs> uh, see, I, I usually during football season won't even touch baseball, but it, I couldn't couldn't avoid it today. Chris says, Jeff's the man. I agree. Uh, I mean, there's there are few people like him left in the business. There are few people like Dan Patrick left in in the radio in the radio business. It's all just. What can I do today to make everybody mad? And and as I've said before, I'll say it again. That strategy works for a little while. It does. It works for a little while. You do the shock jock thing and you, you say ridiculous stuff to get people all mad and they tune in to hear how ridiculous you are, but that is not cultivating a dedicated audience and that is doing a disservice to your potential audience by acting like that. But that's what people do. And it's shameful. 
we're losing the smart people, the the people that do it the right way in our business for sure. Um, all for the sake of stirring shit up. It's a joke. Jeff's not that way. One of the few remaining. Zach says, see, I was looking at this last night. If that is the controversial ninth inning pitch, why is it red? This chart shows a relatively consistent strike zone, even if it's badly shaped. But the point is, no, that's not consistent. I, I With all due respect, man, look. It, same pitch. Same pitch here. Different calls. Same pitch here. Different calls. Same pitches here. Different calls. It's not consistent. 21 missed ball and strike calls based on based on the strike zone. I don't think it should take four innings for us to figure out where a pitch is going to be called a ball and a strike either. That that ball clearly was over the plate in the zone. Clearly. Daniel says, if they don't want to move to robot, at least they should use technology to aid them. Something like AR goggles to visually show them a strike zone. Something like that. Uh, I would like that to happen in football, too. I, I mean, I think we could really avoid stuff like what happened in Knoxville. I think they got the call right. The spot was correct. Replay showed that he was just a little bit short. Why on earth do are we not using technology where we have cameras on the first down markers that move with the first down markers on the field? Barrett Salee will go as far as to say they need to put microchips in the football. You can't tell me we don't have that technology right now. It's not just baseball that that could use stuff like this. In baseball, you would have to adjust to the electronic strike zone with every batter. I see your point, but it's truly comparing apples to oranges. Why can't you do that? ESPN seems to do it just fine. I mean, their K-zone adjusts. Why, why Why can't they? It's two bad calls in 160 pitches. He missed 21, 21 ball or strike calls based on the parameter set for what is a ball to strike, which is ESPN has a nice camera angled on the first down marker. Did you see it on Monday Night Football? Yeah, I, I'm talking about college. College needs to do that. Would have avoided something, Tennessee. <laughs> I hear you, Zach. He said, keep in mind, I don't care about baseball at all, so this isn't a hill I'd die on. It's just my 10-second thoughts on it. For sure, I I don't like the fact that you have to adjust what you do based on umpires. I, I, I think that's that's a bad practice. I think a, a ball should be a ball and a strike should be a strike, regardless of what the umpire likes. That's why we have out-of-bounds lines. That's why we have three-point lines and field goal posts. The established... Distance should always be the established distance to me. I don't even like that concept. The, um, well, the umpire likes it inside tonight. I, I don't like that. It should be what it is always. If the ball is over the plate, it's a strike. If it's not, it's not. But anyway, frustrating night. Frustrating night. But that was clearly very much a strike three. Oh, no, it wasn't 21. It was 23. And it was even, by the way. It was even. It was 12 uh, of the missed ball strike calls were thrown by Red Sox pitchers. 11 were thrown by Astros pitchers. So it it wasn't bias. It was just incompetence. But the Red Sox got screwed the most in terms of what should have been a strike three call that ended up not 
being one and the Astros got to bang their trash cans and, and own it. But anyway, there's a report out there. Uh, Mike Dettelier, uh was on WNSP, which is a radio station in Mobile. And this this won't surprise anybody, but Dettelier's connected. Uh, he's, he's with WWL in New Orleans. He knows a lot of people. He's really connected. Uh, he said on WNSP that Mel Tucker is LSU's primary target as our next head coach. And that shouldn't surprise anybody. It certainly doesn't surprise me at all. There's been a lot, a lot of, uh, of talk about Mel Tucker uh, for, for, for multiple different people. Uh, it sounds like right now, and of course there are many weeks until they actually make this hire, but it sounds like right now that seems to be a pretty consensus, hey, Mel Tucker's a real candidate. He, he's a guy that they're interested in, possibly the favorite in this thing. What I didn't realize, I knew Mel Tucker was, I knew who he was. It's not like this came out of left field for me. I did not realize that he has the resume that he has. Let me just run through this. I've got his Wikipedia page up just so I can run down this list for you. This kind of blew my mind. I knew he was a good coach and qualified and stuff. And I, like I knew he had been at other places and coached under Saban and stuff. I didn't realize the resume was this good. So he got his first uh, full-time coaching job at Miami of Ohio. He's the defensive backs coach in 09. Then he was a DB coach at LSU in 2000. Then he was at Ohio State from 2001 to, the, to 2004, where he went from DB coach to defensive coordinator. Then he was the DB coach for the Cleveland Browns and the defensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns and then the defensive coordinator for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then he was the interim coach for a year in Jacksonville. Then he was back to being the defensive coordinator there for 2012. Then he was the D.C. in Chicago for two years. Then he was the associate head coach and defensive backs coach at Alabama, won a national championship there. Then he was a defensive coordinator and defensive backs coach for Georgia for, Georgia for three years. Then he was the head coach at Colorado. Then he was the head coach at Michigan State. His one year at Colorado, they beat two ranked teams. And year two at Michigan State, he's got them 7-0 and and ranked in the top 10. I did not realize that his resume was that good. He's been part of, I think, two. Yeah, he's been part of two national championship winning teams, one at Ohio State, one at Alabama. He has turned Michigan State's roster basically completely over. Like, I don't think they're a playoff team yet, but look at what he was able to do, especially using the transfer portal at a place that's kind of tough to acquire talent. I mean, I I guess I just didn't realize how qualified Mel Tucker was for this job. I've seen a lot of people throw out um, that he would be just a diversity hire. I, I've, I've seen that in some places, message boards and stuff, not from anybody professional. And maybe that is attractive to, to people in leadership positions at LSU. Maybe that is. But look at that resume and tell you that there's anybody that's more qualified than him. He's, I mean, that that's – so I don't like when that gets thrown out there because that diminishes that resume. Defensive coordinator in the NFL. Defensive coordinator on a national championship team. Coached under Saban. Coached under Kirby. In his one year at Colorado, beat multiple ranked teams. And in year two at Michigan State, has them in the top ten. There, there is nothing but qualifications that follow Mel Tucker. So that's um, if that's truly the direction that they're looking towards and the the direction that they go, 
that sounds like it'd be a really good hire for LSU. And Ole Miss fans listening can breathe a sigh of relief, although I think the Miami job's going to come open, and naturally they're going to put Lane Kiffin's name on those lists as well. However, he has got a job that's better than Miami. I think most – every job in the SEC – here's your hot take of the day. Every job in the SEC, except for Vanderbilt and Missouri, are better than Miami. There's your Max Kellerman take of the day right there. How about that? I would die on that hill, I think. I think I would. But there's your Max Kellerman take of the day. 12 SEC jobs are better than Miami. Getting left behind in the ACC, very little support. Uh, The recruiting is not the same it used to be. Players are leaving local places more than they ever have. They're, They're down to third fiddle in their own state. Uh, it's not the job it used to be. Miami is not the job it used to be. Uh, it's a great place apparently to live and party and go to go to college. I bet being a college athlete in Miami is probably pretty sick. However, uh, conference realignment and stuff like that has really damaged everybody in the ACC, not named Clemson to me. But anyway, that's your take of the day. It's going to be Cristobal's access. Be a hell of a hire. I wonder if Mario's not waiting for Saban to leave Alabama. I think he's got a pretty good job right now. I, you know, it's not the SEC. It's definitely not the SEC, and that that hurts. But there aren't all that many better jobs than the one he's got. He's recruiting really well. He's got great fan support. All the facilities you could imagine. Apparently, Eugene's pretty sick also. Uh, as as a town to live in, but they could get him, I think, if they wanted him, they could. I mean, like I said yesterday, they they are not going to get said no to twice. No shot. It, this is not the Auburn opening this past year. This is not the Tennessee opening. They're not going to get said no to twice. If if they want Mel Tucker, they're they're getting they're getting Mel Tucker. If they decide they want Jimbo Fisher, I. I I maintain this. They're getting Jimbo. If that if that's who they want, I think that's who they'll get. They're not going to get said no to. There's too much money and it's too good of a job, considering their candidate pool. Now I saw that Dabo Sweeney was asked about it yesterday. Um, I don't think that's exactly realistic, but he didn't say no. He just said he's focused on this Death Valley right now. But. Con- considering who the candidates are, Franklin, Tucker, Cristobal, Aranda, whoever they decide is not going to tell them no. Brett says, I think we'll get a full conference of Saban disciple head coaches before Nick retires. <laughs> We're working on it, aren't we? I mean, geez. When, uh, when Muschamp was South Carolina, there would have been another one, but... Yeah, man. I mean, we're getting there. How many will that be? So it'll be Kiffin, Jimbo, Tucker, Kirby. So that'll be four Saban disciples in his own conference. Jeez. I didn't think about it like that. If Dabo took the LSU job of all jobs, Zach says, after his, if the players get paid, I'll quit comments, I would lose all respect for him. I don't have it anymore anyway. I mean, I, I respect the job he's done at Clemson. I really do. I mean, I, 
you know, I'm from the region. I know what Clemson football was before Dabo got the job. And regardless of what people over there will tell you their job is, Dabo Sweeney built Clemson football into what it is. It has nothing to do with sleeping giants or whatever. No. He made Clemson football what it is today. That That's Dabo's doing. I respect the hell out of the job he's done. But those comments still were so off-putting to me as a guy that's making the the gaudy salary that he's got to coach football. When you say, if the players start getting a little bit of money, I'm going to quit because there's too much entitlement in the world as I cash my $8 million a year salary. That just that one, I know it's just one thing, but that has put me off from him so much that I just, I don't look at it the same. I mean, how, how could you in that position, just complete hypocrisy, like, you know, his quarterback's getting some pretty decent money and what a return on an investment Dr. Pepper's getting, but a handful of his players are getting, you know, a few thousand bucks to do some commercials. And he had the audacity to use the word entitlement while he cashes the checks that he cashes. That doesn't sit right with me. He makes over half a million dollars a game. And he talks about entitlement because a kid gets a few thousand bucks. That, that's, that was just so off-putting to me, and I I've, I've, haven't forgotten it. Hadn't quit yet, though. I wonder why. Hmm. I thought there was entitlement. Wonder why. Anyway. Some of these lines for the weekend. In the SEC, not a very eventful weekend. Just speaking the truth. College football never disappoints, but the SEC this weekend might just do that. Arkansas hosting Pine Bluff. You've got LSU Ole Miss, which is compelling for a lot of reasons. Matt Corral's going to play on Saturday. He's, he's going to play. He won't run 30 times. He's going to play. And, of course, you have Ed Ordron getting fired also, you know, coaching in Oxford where he used to be a head coach, all that. Mississippi State's at Vanderbilt. That is, oh, by the way, LSU uh, is a nine-and-a-half-point underdog in Oxford this weekend. Uh, Bill Connolly's projection was that Ole Miss would win by nine, for whatever that's worth, the S&P Plus. Um, Mississippi State holding firm at a 20-and-a-half-point favorite. In Nashville against Vanderbilt, we'll see about Will Rogers' health. Um, we, we talked a bit yesterday on the radio some about Mike Leach telling a, a reporter he's not allowed to ask questions. And um, it's possible that that is related to this reporter asking the players themselves about injuries and, and other things because the sports information department will not answer any questions. And that that's at least what the word is. It may or may not be the reason why, but apparently this reporter is going to the players and, and asking them for information instead of running it by the SC, uh, SID. And if that's the case, I don't want to get into this too much today, but there were some state fans that liked that Mike Leach told that reporter, you're not asking questions today. And like that they're shunning this reporter because how dare he not go through the coaches to get information? Um, I disagree with that sentiment. To me, that's reporting. And it's it's a gray area, and, you know, you should go through the sports information department first. I mean, that's a common courtesy that you should do. But if they're not giving you information, if they're... You should expect reporters, real reporters, not fan site reporters, but real reporters. You should expect them to dig. You should. By any means necessary. 
like the Oklahoma student newspaper who found a public building and got on top of it with a set of binoculars to find out that Spencer Rattler wasn't starting against TCU last week. To me, that's that's good hustle. That's good reporting. Most college football programs are covered by, by homers, people that protect the program. But there are real reporters scattered amongst the beat. And when a real reporter does real reporting, you can't shun them. I, I think that's a, a, it's a small look. And I would say the same thing about Ole Miss and any other program who would be doing that. Sorry. When a legal adult asks another illegal adult if he's injured, that's reporting. Sorry. What you should do instead of shunning the reporter is having a team meeting and saying, hey, if any reporter sends you guys a message, tell them no comment or tell them to go through the SID. That doesn't bother me in the least bit. If that is, in fact, why this is happening, and, and you know, I don't know for sure, but if that's why it's happening, that's called reporting. And most of these team site people don't do real reporting. They only do propaganda. This guy wanted information that the school didn't want out. That's what reporting is. That's what real reporters do. Get used to it. I mean, I guess, you know, anybody's within their own right to shun a reporter, but it looks small to me when you do that, if that's in fact the case. I mean, you've got players that have NIL deals with reporters now to to do weekly content. You can't tell me that that's bad that's bad or or should should be worthy of getting their credentials pulled for asking a legal adult questions about his team just prepare your kids don't shun the reporter that's just me anyway uh we'll see about will rogers' health if he's healthy state will win by a bunch of points if he's not healthy state will probably still win by a bunch of points but anyway Tennessee's at Alabama. Alabama's going to be able to name their score, especially if Hendon Hooker does not play in this game. That's going to be really, really ugly. And South Carolina's at Texas A&M. Alabama's a 25-point favorite. Texas A&M's a 21-point favorite. So the SEC doesn't have a whole lot to get excited about. Aside from our games, of course, like I will be watching Mississippi State and Vanderbilt, and I'll be watching Ole Miss and LSU. But outside of that, probably not going to be too consumed with – with anything else in the league. Here's a couple of games, though, nationally, that I think you should pay attention to. At 11 a.m., so at 11 a.m., Wake Forest is at Army. It's an interesting non-conference game in the middle of the season. Luckily, Wake Forest had a bye week, so they had a little bit more time to prepare. But Wake Forest is the ACC's best chance at making the college football playoff. That is a true statement. They are undefeated. They're 6-0. and The best chance at the ACC making the college football playoff. And they're going to go on the road to West Point as three-point favorites against triple option. That is a game that is worth watching. That is a compelling football game to me. Also, the Big 12 is set up to have Bedlam determine a chance at the playoff. Oklahoma State currently undefeated. Oklahoma also currently undefeated. Oklahoma, by the way, is at Kansas, so that doesn't matter. But Oklahoma State on the road, it's at the same time of, as Ole Miss LSU, so second TV this one. But Oklahoma State's a seven-point underdog on the road at Iowa State as the number eight team in America. Things get weird in Ames. Check that one out. 
I will be paying attention. Also at 2.30. Too much going on at 2.30. Clemson's at Pittsburgh. A lot of people are giving Kenny Pickett, uh, Pittsburgh's quarterback, some Heisman love. He's a really good player. He's a gamer. Not near as talented as, you know, one Matt Corral, but he's a gamer. And uh, this is a big one for for Pittsburgh. Atmosphere should be great at Heinz Field, or at least you hope it is. Clemson on the road at Pittsburgh as a three-point underdog. How about that? We'll, uh, we'll see how Heisman-worthy Kenny Pickett is. This is the best defense he will be facing all season long. Ohio State's at Indiana. That's that's six thirty. You know, watch it if you want to. The Buckeyes are playing really well right now. I don't think they'll be challenged though. And uh, finally, NC State at Miami. This could be the end of uh, of Manny Diaz. Apparently, there's some unrest down there. So we'll see. But yeah, really compelling games outside of the SEC. But they all happen to be on basically at the same time as the ones you want to watch. So that's a that's a kind of a shame there, but. Anyway, try to enjoy it the best you can. You know, the most compelling games and then our local games are all on at once. State and Vanderbilt and Ole Miss LSU are on at the same time. Clemson Pittsburgh are on at the same time. I mean, come on. Spread these out a little bit better. But anyway, so those are your games this week. And we'll talk more about them in depth tomorrow and anything else newsworthy that pops up between now and then. Zach says just wait until next week when we have four total SEC games, one of which is Missouri Vanderbilt. Ooh, mm, no thank you. A- at least, though, the other ones are pretty decent, right? You've got uh, Florida, Georgia, Ole Miss at Auburn, and Kentucky at Mississippi State. So at least the other three are interesting. But, yeah, that sucks. That's, uh, that's not good. Don't forget to subscribe to YouTube, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in, as you always do. We need robot umpires. We need them. We need them to avoid what happened in Boston. Y'all be good. I'll see you on the radio this afternoon. If not, right back here tomorrow at 8. See you then. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.